Hi, it's um, Monday afternoon, and uh, I want to say a few words about uh, Putin and everything that's going on and uh, these uh, Ukrainian uh, business, the speeches everybody's making back and forth. Uh, I was fortunate enough to find a sponsor, friends of mine, um, who were doing it uh, to, in, in I, I don't know how to say this, in, to, in, in the cause that people should remember um, the singles. Because uh, they have uh, two children that are in the partial, let's say, and other people have children in partial, and uh, it's lousy. Once you know, and in our culture, for better or worse, you know, once you get to this age and that age, you're not going to say any numbers. It's already like a crisis, um, and uh, it shouldn't be that way. Uh, we all went through it, but it was uh, I remember it as being a bummer, and uh, I, you know, salute them for using this uh, sponsorship to call attention to this, which in practical terms means like this. Ask yourself this Shabbos, next Shabbos, whenever you can, if you can do something to help out people in that department <clears throat> with Shadukim. Some people are in a position to help, some people not, but, you know, don't let it just uh, slide. I uh, I respect that position very much. And now with any further ado, I was listening off and on. Uh, I didn't listen, actually. I read off and on the remarks of Zelensky and now Putin's speech and this, that, and the other. <clears throat> it's very interesting how people lie, tell half-truths, uh, shoot the bull. You know, by the time you finish his speech, it sounds like the Ukrainians were Tzadikin. On the other hand, the Russians say they're Tzadikin. Uh, Eastern Europe is what it is. <clears throat> the Jews do it all. But I like to get, as you know, to the historical background of this. Although I have to say, as I mentioned last time, it took me by surprise. I didn't think Putin was going to do it. This war seems to have started on February 24th, which is my English birthday. That's how I remember it. So it's going on almost a month. And it's like World War II all over again, you know. Except that it's not really, because the Russian army hasn't really put together one of its famous World War II type offensives where you mass a million men and you get 10 million uh, <laughs> cannon, I mean a belt of cannon artillery and a belt of um, airplanes and they bombed the heck out of one sector and then they raced through the gap uh, and then surrounding conquered territory. That's how the Red Army did it in uh, World War II. The Americans did that also when they were able to. That's how Patton started at Avranches in July of 44. <clears throat> That's how you do it. It doesn't seem that they've done it over here. But whatever the case is, I really don't wa watch this war so closely for better or worse, the motivations behind it also is fascinating to me. People trying to understand. I myself, I didn't think Putin was going to do it because what are you going to, going to take over a country and then I'm going to hate you again? Uh, and you really want to go back to Stalinism uh, in which you have to have a gigantic secret police force and a whole network of prison camps and you have to kill, I repeat, kill millions of people behind the scenes through various methods. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he does. It's a. I still can't get my head around it. But you see that Putin marches to his own drummer, which is a very interesting one. And it caused me to think about two themes. Number one, nationalism. And number two, Shrem uh, and Dina. Because that's exactly what's going on over here, in my opinion, which is all I can ever share with you. Let me explain. Uh, there is a Zakh called nationalism. Putin, for example, is a Russian nationalist. And the other guy is a Ukrainian nationalist. They are not communist, anti-communist. Putin is not a communist at all. He grew up under that system, but he's not a communist at all. He understands the shortcomings of that. Although he recognizes the pluses of it. 
in the service of nationalism. Now, what's Peshat nationalism? This is an ideal. It's a kind of romantic notion. It doesn't mean it's not true, but it's not true in a regular way. It's called idea and ideals, like Plato. Things that are not physical, science can't measure, but they are powerful, so you can measure by their effects. So if I say, what is nationalism, it's hard to get your hands around it in a scientific way. But everybody knows nationalism is a tremendously powerful force. You can see its effects throughout history. <clears throat> now, nationalism takes many forms, based on the historical experience of the individual peoples around. We Jews have a nationalism. Uh, at least the Torah has it. Uh, the Russians sure as heck have a nationalism. Ukrainians in their way do so. Americans have nationalism. Uh, it's appeared in different forms. And what occurred to me while I was thinking about it this morning was that nationalism always involves a kind of utopianism. What nationalism means is the following. Listen closely. If I ask you, what is America? So if you want to get me a very boring physics, totally accurate answer, you say America is 355 million individuals, whatever the number is, something like that. Right? Which I guess is kind of true. It's the collectivity of all of its citizens. <laughs> you might possibly say it's the karka. But those would be physical things. But that would be a very unsatisfactory answer. If I say, what is the American nation? A nationalist, as soon as I use the word nation, I already did, which the Torah uses, by the way, I already did something to take it beyond the, the, the plain physical counting of individuals. If you say there's a Jewish nation, that means the mass of Jews constitutes some kind of metaphysical reality, or if you prefer, an idealistic reality. The American nation, the mass of Americans together is higher than the sum total of its individual parts. The mass of Russians, the same thing. Chinese, whoever. So you're tining that there exists some kind of a, I hate to use the word spiritual, but I will, metaphysical essence uh, that, that, that the collectivity of the whole group you know, kind of uh, gives off. And it's a Matthias. And so people will say, oh yes, you're a traitor to your nation. You get it? Or you're a hero to your nation. They don't mean all the people, right? They mean the, the, the collectivity per se. You know, national hero. That kind of word. Now, um, in all the... So na nationalism is a kind of a narrative. And it always projects some kind of... Oh, not always, I shouldn't say that, but often projects a kind of utopian um, ideal as its peak experience. So, uh, what would be... Americans are definitely like this. Americans would say like this. America is a great country, the greatest country, and one day, when the world is sufficiently enlightened, uh, the whole world will be led by America. For their own toilets. America is only going to help them. It won't hurt. If only these stupid African countries would help. If only these stupid Middle Eastern countries would hop. If only these countries around the world, and even Russia and China would understand. If they would follow the American leadership, the world would be peaceful. It would be economically well organized. Nobody would go hungry. Everybody would have shoes, etc., etc. In other words, it's, it's a Mashiach site of a materialistic fashion. And that is a, is, is a very nice and idealistic kind of thing. That's a notion that says if America leads, since we're such a nice people... And we are. We helped the world after World War II. We helped the world here. We helped the world there. 
If they would only take our lead, you see, we would lead by enlightenment. We wouldn't occupy their countries. Raise your hand if you want America to go and militarily occupy Africa or South America. Nobody wants to do that. Why should you? But if you persuade them to listen to do what we tell you, if you really would listen, we would say, and so forth. It would be great. So that's the American ideal, American exceptionalism, the historians call it, and whatever. The Jewish people have a similar kind of utopia. What is the ultimate experience in Judaism? What's the ideal? The Jews will rule the world. Not rule the world militarily or tyrannically. Mamash, the same thing. Enlighten them. The world will see the light. And then on their own, the lion will lie down with the lamb. Because they'll want to be led by Klai Yisrael, which in that state, in Messianic Europe, will, will be in a very high state, and people will see, this is the best way for us to go. There are many psukim like that, you know, that will go to Zion and so forth and so on. And so in each case, it's a, the nationalism leads to a, a, a utopian notion that we should rule the world and everything will be great. They say everything will be great. Now, um, there is, of course, such a thing as a nationalism with a utopianism, which is horrific. It's a different vort. That's Hitler. He was a nationalist, for sure. His idea is like this. One day, Germany will rule the world and kill everybody, so only the Germans will be left, and then we can live a grand old time uh, living very well throughout the world. So in other words, that nationalism doesn't seek to help mankind, but to kill mankind, so we're the only ones left. It's a twist on it, but that's who he was. You get it? So Nazism is definitely an idealistic movement. The only thing is this is a perverted idealism. Uh, but he wouldn't agree. Okay? Now, not every country is like that. Switzerland doesn't have those kind of Havaminas. Uh, Holland, you know, doesn't have those kind of Havaminas. Obviously, Bulgaria doesn't have those kind of Havaminas and so forth. But there are countries that have. One of them is Russia. Okay? One of them is Russia. If you know the history of Russia, there used to be a little village called Moscow, and the Mongolians and all these used to come and raid and kill and pillage and rape all over the place. Kisader, so life was a hell. Sooner or later, long, long ago, a guy in this little village called Moscow organized the people around him and fought the other guys off, and all of a sudden now he's got this piece of carcass which is safe from attack, and over the course of time, he or his children or grandchildren expanded a little bit, and that area became safe for attack, but in order for that to work, he had to set up a military dictatorship to be able to run the defenses in the military very well, and just expanded until it became the Russia that we know today. So as far as they're concerned, as a benevolent process. You see? The, the I, in the course of this, the Russians took over and conquered other peoples. Where To them, in their narrative, in their nationalism, we're doing them a toivo. Because now they'll live in a country where there's no wars. And the Russians know how to organize their lives better than they know for themselves. That's how they think. Okay? And as part of a grand Russian business, basically, you're going to be protected by the big bear. Not eaten by the big bear, but protected by the big bear. That's how they see it. Now, the, the, the other people's experience that they were eaten by the bear, but I'm talking about the way Russians see it. 
And basically, they've always had this idea that the more Russia expands, the better it is because in those areas, it's, it's peace. Right? It's peace. So, just to give you an example, when um, uh, now a war has broken out in Europe, everybody's shocked because there haven't been any wars in Europe since 1945. How come, not any real ones, how come there haven't been wars in Europe since 1945? Well, Stalin owned half and America and NATO owned the other half and those two guys made up their mind within their own cocker there won't be any wars. So in other words, the Russians could say, see, from 1945 to, to 1990, uh, uh, Poland, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, and so forth, you know, East Germany, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, it was at peace. Uh, the only problem is they could not deliver prosperity. So they couldn't deliver peace and prosperity. But they'll say, you know, everybody, nobody starved, at least not too much. Once in a while they did, but not too much. And the way they see it, it was all positive. I, what about the fact that the people experienced it as being cruel and they were dominated by Russia and all that? So, so the attitude of the Russians is much like Zelensky said the other day. Yeah, there was a few little bad things along the way. But compared to the large benefits that we gave, that's nothing. And it's really sinful of you to focus on the negative parts. You should rather be impressed with the positive opportunities that were presented to you. That's the peak of Russian nationalism. And I saw an article, Putin has these philosophers, and they say Russia should rule all of Europe from Dublin to, I don't know, to the Pacific Ocean. You know what I said? Dublin to the Pacific Ocean. Because then all of Europe would be under all of Europe would be under one control. in Europe. Don't worry, Russia would be big and powerful, so nobody would dare to invade Europe. Uh, I'm sure if it's Putin, he said, I wouldn't let any Muslim immigrants. So you little countries wouldn't have nothing to worry about being taken over. And France could be France, Italy could be Italy, Switzerland could be Switzerland, and so on and so forth. And what's the problem? Just let Russia rule. You see? And we are naturally created to rule because since in our history is one in which we've always expanded, so God obviously wants it this way. And that's how they think. And that's why Putin has all these Christians behind him in Russia because the history of Russia is one of constant expansion. It's not an unbroken series of successes. From time to time, Russia got defeated, but they always came back, you see? So in the history of Russia, they win some wars, they've lost some wars, there are times when they lost some provinces. There are times when they got them back. In the long run, they, they got it back plus. So it's like a guy looking at his stock portfolio, you know, up and down. But the long-term trend is up. That's how Russia views the things, okay? And there's no question, I think everybody knows, that looking from Putin's point of view, uh, the Soviet Union was good and bad. It was good in that it created a Russian empire. And it used the communistic philosophy as an excuse to keep control of this vast empire. Because then they could take over a country and say, we're really doing it in the name of communism, you know, not in the name of Russian imperialism. And anybody opposes us is, is opposing communism as an enemy of the people so we can kill them. Uh, on the other hand, it de-emphasized the specifically Russian aspects of things. And he's a Russian, Russian, Russian. Uh, and there were many Russian writers like Solzhenitsyn and others who tied it that communism uh, did a lot of bad things to Russia. 
And it's true, by the way. And Putin is murdered on this. But he says, we want to keep the positive side of Russia, but not the negative. It's very interesting to me. So, for example, from Putin's point of view, communism had big pluses and big minuses. So the thing to do is retain the pluses, but correct the minuses. It's fascinating to me that one of the big, big minuses was the destruction of Christianity. The Soviets destroyed the churches, shot the priests, replaced them with KGB agents, etc. And he would say this was wrong. The religion of Russia has always been a servant of Russian nationalism. I don't expect you to know the history of the Russian Orthodox Church, but just take it from me, back since Peter the Great's time, uh, which in the early 1700s, he made the church a department of the government. So just like there's a Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Treasury, there's a Secretary of the Church. That's how it used to be under the Tsar. You understand? The Church was a department of the government. There were those who didn't agree with this. They said the Church should be uh, independent and be only responsible to God. But Peter the Great killed them. He burned them. Uh, old believers. This, this is within the history of Russian Christianity. Lemaisa, the Church was a big buttress for the state, and the people were very religious. But they were very religious in a way that combined religion with Christianity with Yashka together with a religion for Russia. In Putin's view, and that's the current view of all the Russian intellectuals of that sort, um, this was a mistake on the part of the communists. The communists could tie it back that if we had made this a Russian thing, we wouldn't have had communist followers in the millions around the world, which is 100% true. And you wouldn't have... And, and, you end up with the Solemsky situation we have now, where it looks like just Russia is trying to take over another country. Mashenkin, when you timed it, was not avoiding Russian nationalism, but rather you're doing it for communism, which is secular, that gives you a better excuse. You know, take it or leave it, but Lemaise, Putin, and his generation have left it, and they're pushing the, the, the Christian part. As you know, he backs the church very much in Russia, and the church backs him. Okay? The church backs him. Because from the church point of view, the Russian Orthodox Church is the correct form of Christianity. All the others are wrong. And one day Russia will rule the world, they hope. And then they'll spread their religion, the correct religion around the world. And little by little, they don't have exactly know how, but they will. They'll get rid of the, all the other religions. You know, Malar Deus as Russian Christianity, Kayam Kamayam Layam Chasim. What's really interesting to us, to those who are listening to this podcast, it's pretty clear to me that one of the calculations Putin has made. Right, one of the is made was um, that the Russian czars made a mistake attacking the Jews. They just picked the fight they didn't need to have. It got the Jews of the world all angry at Russia. Uh, this hurt. This helped the revolutionaries. It hurt the Soviet state. Uh, it was a fight they didn't need to have because the Jews actually were mostly pro-communist and that sort of thing. And anyway, if you don't attack the, the Jews, they won't, they won't bother you. Russia suffered a lot in the post-war period, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, for being perceived as anti-Semitic, and they wouldn't let the refuseniks go and all the rest of it. Gave them a big pain in the neck they didn't need to have. And therefore, you see, Putin has said, as long as the Russians in Russia, most of them gone to Israel, but who with Russian Russia, identify with Russian nationalism, you know, like like Lubavitch. Lubavitch will say this, oh, we totally support, you know, 
the the Russian nation national program. Why not? I mean, they're not stupid. <laughs> do whatever it takes to get along. Meanwhile, if you do that, Putin leaves you alone. As a matter of fact, he likes uh, the rabbis there. We never had a government. You hear what I said? Never had a government in Russia, which is friendly to Jews. You have one now. So Putin's basically saying, what am I doing wrong? And suppose we take over other countries. Won't hurt the Jews. That's a clever move on his part. You see, in addition to that, he worked it out in such a way, as I mentioned this last time I spoke about this, that that kind of approach allows you to take advantage of the Holocaust narrative and say that we Russians are the best friends of the Jews. We rescued the concentration camp. We liberated the Jews. We saved, uh, instead of, uh, it was six million, not seven, because of what we did. Masha Ain came to Ukrainians, and the Lithuanians and all the others helped Hitler. There is truth to that. As everybody knows from that speech that uh, Zelensky gave the other, is a truth to that. So it enables him to manipulate and use the Holocaust narrative, you know, in a good way. It ignores the fact that the Soviet state was very anti-Jewish and did all kinds of Semitic things because it brings into focus, you, you know, whatever we did wrong to the Jews, but we saved their lives in World War II. You, you, you see how I'm talking? Uh, and therefore, everybody over here in this program has something to do bad with the Jews in the past. But what they're trying to do is say, let's skip over the unpleasant parts and concentrate on the present and the future, which can be totally positive. Now, if you're a Lubavitch rabbi in Putin's Russia today, if you have a half a brain, you say, listen, I'm not going to talk about all the bad stuff the Tsar did. Let's forget all that for now, for, for totally cynical, practical purposes. And let's concentrate on building Yiddishkeit in the Russia today, which the, which the government lets us have. And I don't mean Lubavitch, they have a yeshiva there, you know, not about they have the colils there, they have all kind of stuff. The government lets it, doesn't bother them. You know what I'm So we won't talk about how bad Stalin was or any kind of stuff. It's not necessary. Let's concentrate on on the present. We have people to be Makarov now. We have Shiram to give now. We don't have to worry about the past. These guys can do it. But the Jewish people overall, Claudius Rope, doesn't necessarily want to forget what happened in bad news in Russia in the past. But as it happens right now, because of the situation in Israel, and since the Russians are in Syria, and Iran is such a threat, so the state of Israel finds it necessary, which they do, to kiss up to Putin and Russia. It is necessary. And they, um, you know, you'll see uh, Bibi and Bennett will go to Moscow all the time and try to be a friendly Russia what they can because you're dealing with a bear. You are. Uh, I don't blame them. They're under no illusions. But if they can get a benevolent Russian policy towards Israel, it means a lot. It means a lot. In the back of my mind, in the back of my mind, I think, that in the mentality of Putin, since there are a million Ruskies, made Aliyah, say in a certain way, he considers Israel to be somewhat Russian. That's, I think that's how he thinks. You understand? He knows there's a belt of people, in, of Russian Jews, Soviet Jews went to Israel. Doesn't matter whether for Ukraine, Belarus, to him, they're all from Soviet Union. They're all Russian. And they speak Russian. And they identify with Russian culture, as I think we all know. And therefore, that's a group that could be sort of like a colony of Russia. And it's a little bit like Nebuchadnezzar and Sancherv and all this way back when, when the Nevi'a Yisrael said like this, Listen, don't mess in world politics. Mom's like Bennett, you know? What is the message of Yeshayo, Yermio, 
and all the others. Don't get involved in the wars between Ashur and Bovel and Mitzrayim and this and that and the other. Israel is a small country. St- stay out of it. And be happy that you have Eretz Yisrael. Be happy you have Yerushalayim at the base of Amigdash. You have the opportunity to cultivate Judaism. What do you care about what's happening, you know, in the bigger picture? That, that, that's a, that you find in the Nach and then the VA Yisrael. They're very interesting. It's very no gear to the situation today, as far as I can see, even though we're doing a prophets today, obviously. Now, the problem is, as they say, how everybody has different memories of the past. It really reminds me of um, the story of Shemadina, because what happened, which is a very interesting story, what happened, of course, as we all know, back in Bracious, was this guy Shem raped Dina. But then, after he did that, which he probably thought it started out as a rape, um, and then he fell for her big time. He fell in love with her. That's the language of the Chumash. And now that he did that, he realized the problem, which is how can he ever marry this person since his introduction to her was in such a bad way. You understand? And he like kicked himself ten times over and said, why did I make this mistake? It's a very interesting story. And as we all know, he goes to Yaakov and he says, I'll do whatever you want, let me marry the girl. I'm even willing to circumcise, convert the whole city. You know, there was nothing that he wasn't willing to do. And Ramban says he meant it. So, think about it on the human being level. It started out as an oinus, as a rape. But then, he adopted the attitude in which he said, you know, it was a bad beginning, and it was, it was wrong, and I see it now, and I myself very bitterly regret this, all the rest of it. To new Leas and Ira Zelisho. Let's move on and concentrate on building a good future. I will treat her like diamonds, and he meant it. I will be Maguire, I'll do whatever you want. And he meant it. I'm willing to move heaven and earth. I so I'm so sorry that we met under these bad circumstances. I would much prefer that it never happened, and I would see Dina and go to you honorably and offer you a you know, say, I want to marry your daughter, I'm willing to be Maguire, I'm willing to beguile my entire nation, give you all the money, whatever you want. It'll be done in an honorable way. But I love her so much, and she loves me, because I'll say. That let this happen. Now, the brothers wouldn't do it. So let's put it this way. The guy wanted to forget the past and was willing to do whatever it took, to, anything possible to forget the past, but he ran into the Jews who don't forget the past. Right? The Jews do not forget the past. And they killed him. And so, to me, you see this very fascinatingly these last three, four weeks, in two ways. Them to us and them to each other. Going to the Jews and going to each other. Let's take, for example, uh, Putin towards Israel and Zelensky towards Israel. Russia did a lot of bad things. Under the Tsars, all the rest of it, the Soviet Union. And to be perfectly honest, Stalin didn't save the Jews because he wanted to save the Jews. He was an ally of Hitler. And Hitler stabbed him in the back. So that led to a situation where Russia fought and had no choice but to destroy 
Germany at the cost of 20, 20, 30 million casualties. But it is true as a result of destroying Hitler, instead of it was 6 million out of 7 million that were killed. You know, you could say that. So, what has been Putin's hope shot? He says to Israel, and Israel has accepted this for practical reasons. That's what BB and Bennett did. They said, listen, the Soviet Union was a heroic army. They saved the Jews in World War II. The bad stuff they did to the Jews, we're not going to notice. And they're willing to take the narrative that, uh, that what do you call it, that uh, Putin is, is, is uh, proffering. And when he came to Yad Vashem last year, I think it was, or two years ago, they came to Kovim Lachem, and he gave a whole speech in which the Americans were the bad guys, and the British were the bad guys, the Russians were the good guys, and, you know, they saved the Jews and fought the war to save the Jews because they care about mankind and want to destroy Nazism. It's a bunch of bull, but it, it, it doesn't matter, get it? doesn't matter. What Israel said was, I like, guess, fine, you're willing to come Yad Vashem, you're willing to mention the six million Jews that were killed, you're willing to honor the Jewish narrative that our people were murdered, uh, you know, in, in a completely evil way. Uh, we like that. The other stuff you throw in, it doesn't matter. Now, Zelensky tried to do this the other day, but with much, much less ground to hold on. He gave a speech, was it yesterday, two days ago, whatever, to Israel, and he basically said, Israel owes this one, because we saved the Jews in World War II, and now you should save us from the Russians. Uh, whoa. The Ukrainians, for the most part, I think everybody knows, killed the Jews in World War II. For every good Ukrainian, there was 100 bad ones. That's actually true. And even in their own movies, they'll show you that they killed the Jews. The Ukrainian movies. Uh, And that's how it was. Okay? So, what is Zelensky really saying? I mean, if it's not a bare-faced lie, what is he saying? He's saying like Shem said to, to the parents of Dina. Look, we know bad stuff may have happened in World War II and by Khmelnytsky, all the rest of it. But we kind of, how about we want to be good to the Jews? Ever since we've gotten the country in 1990, we've treated the Jews very well, which is true. And we usually back Israel internationally, United Nations, blah, 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 which is true. And so why dwell on the on the past part, right? Why dwell on, on, on the, the, the individual bad cases? Uh, let's, there were good Ukrainians who did help the Jews in World War II, why do we have to concentrate on the bad guys? Let's build a narrative together in which we say, I'll treat your daughter like gold, <laughs> like Shem said to Dina, you know? Uh, let's let's both agree that the Ukrainians actually were benevolent to the Jews and we're going to have a good life together. You'll be in Israel, we'll be in Ukraine, we'll like each other, we'll trade with each other, and we'll be, you know, have good relations with each other. Why don't we do like that? Why do you have to concentrate on the bad parts? Uh, when you do that, you help Putin. Why do you want to do that? So basically what he's saying is, I want to be like Shem. We raped the Jews, but now we want to marry them. You saying? Uh, it's true, you can go throughout Ukraine and find all these mass graves with the Ukrainians killed, but we've been good since, you see? Uh, yeah, and, and like the brothers, Israel does, most of Israel doesn't buy into it. It's just like this. You killed our brothers and sisters. I wish. <laughs> if I was writing the history, I wish when he gave the speech to the Ukraine, I wish Menachem Begin was still alive. Oh boy. 
he would give it to him. <laughs> he would tell he would learn Pasha's bullock. <laughs> okay. I wish Begin was alive to give the response. But okay, I understand for political correctness they don't want to do that. This is how it works. The same thing now guide to guide. Putin and Ukraine. Putin is basically saying it's best for the Ukraine when it's part of Russia. And he believes that. And historically, this has been a part of Russia, even though the Russians conquered it and seized it. But why emphasize that bad side? Why not talk about the fact that the Russians and Ukrainians have been in one country for a long time? And even today, it would be to the Ukrainian advantage to be part of Russia, because then be part of a large, big country, which would protect Ukraine, and everybody would live fine. We wouldn't persecute your language anymore, the way Stalin did and all that. It, it would be okay. We won't repeat the, the mistakes of the past. And everybody would be happy. The Ukrainians said, what are you talking about? You raped us. You murdered us. We hate you. We don't want to be part of you. Everything you did to us in the past was terrible. And Putin said, don't talk like that. There were a few bad episodes. The same way you're telling the Jews. There were a few bad episodes. But overall, it was good. Why don't you go along with that narrative? And the Ukrainians said, no, we don't agree with that narrative. I can talk that they're fighting like crazy, as you see. And so you end up with a situation where Putin can't admit, because of Russian nationalism, that it's a bad thing. A Russian nationalist, not a liberal, but a nationalist can't say Russian nationalism has been bad. It's actually been experienced as oppression most of the time. Ain't the Khanami if you're talking about Russia, Russia part. So that's where the Russians live. Maybe they want to have their own nation. I get that. But when Russia expanded, as it always has in its history, and for example, when they took over after World War II, all of Eastern Europe, and imposed the communist system there, and sent everybody to prison camps, and it would kill you if you read the wrong book, and all that stuff, all throughout Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, and all that, Albania, uh, the people said it was terrible. The Russians say it was not terrible. It was actually good. In economy, a few mistakes were made. Maybe we're a little bit too harsh. That was avoiding the communist regime. We won't repeat that now. Even in Russia, we don't have that now. You, you, the, the, the peoples of Eastern Europe say like this. You destroyed our religion. You, you closed the churches. You shot the priests. We won't do that now. You'll see. If we take over, you'll have religious freedom. Look how we treat the Jews in Russia. You know, We'll, tr we'll treat everybody fine. We'll, we'll have a union without the bad stuff of the past. You don't have a right to turn that down. That's the interesting way Putin is thinking. You don't have a right to turn that down. And if you turn it down, you're evil. We in America and around the world, people can't understand that. If the girl says that she was raped and she doesn't want to be with the guy, you know, we understand it. We, we honor that. The guy says, but I'm willing to treat you Kvaldik. Uh Like Shem said to her, he said, uh, and by the way, there is a medrash like that. Shem said, your father has a few sheep. I have a lot of sheep. I'll treat you. Marry me, baby, and you'll live like a queen. And he meant it. He was not lying. And so if I'm offering you the life of a queen, why do you have to bring up the, the, the uh, unpleasant way we first met? Why do you have to do that? And if you do that, you're, you're, you're a bad person. You understand? You're a bad person. And Ukraine said, no, it's not like that. So you have a fight over what to 
uh, what's the right word? What to put primacy on in competing narratives of the past, which is just interesting to me. It's clear, I think Putin is 100% honest in his own mind. And he sees it the way I said it. That's what I'm trying to share with you today. And to him, yes, I know that we did ban things to the Ukrainians before and Stalin and all the rest of it. But overall, it was good. Overall, the Ukraine was part of a powerful nation. All the others were afraid to invade it. Uh, we helped build up their industry. It's true, Stalin made some mistakes here. Lenin made some mistakes here. Maybe they were a little bit too harsh on the Ukrainian church. Maybe they shouldn't have starved six or seven million people to death like they did in the 30s. Maybe they shouldn't have rounded all these people up and sent them to concentration camps. It was part of the mistakes of the past. But we're not going to make those mistakes again. And so, Harbolai Mauramaton Vetena Roktanlius Anarlisha. You understand? Just, just go ahead and let's look to the future. They say, you look to the future, we look to the past. We govern how we go in the future by what's in the past. We don't want to be with someone who hurt us. We don't want to be with someone who has embraced like a bear. Not the protection of a bear, but the crushing of a bear. And we see the Russian state is what it always was, which is a dictatorship. So you're saying, trust me, I'll take over Ukraine and it will treat you well. We don't believe that you'll treat you well because the Russians aren't like that. Since the nature is to be a police state, that's you're going to be your essential way it's going to emerge, and you'll start making gazeras here once again. And so, what you ultimately have, as I see it, is this battle, which is very interesting, between one narrative versus another. And it's not that they disagree on the facts. To a certain degree, the Russians are going to lie to a certain degree about the facts. And to a certain degree, you know, I don't know how to put it, but, you know, they'll try to make it look not so bad. But ultimately, they cannot deny that Russia did bad things to the Ukraine. But what they're going to say is like this. Why do you give the emphasis to that? I'm angry at you. Do you emphasize that? So imagine, for example, a husband and a wife. They're married many years. And one time the guy says, oh, I'm, let's, I'm going to just make this up on the spot. Let's say one time the guy said something very bad to his wife. But the rest of the time, last 10 years, last 15 years, he's been great. I mean, he really has. Waited on her hand and foot. Uh, he'll say to her, why do you keep bringing that up? And she says, it means a lot to me. I still heard from it. Why do you have to keep bringing that up? Haven't I treated you well the rest of the time? Aren't I promising to take you on a round-the-world trip? And, you know, in 10-star in hotels? Like, what's your problem? I shall say, what do you mean, what's my problem? You're the one who made the problem. No, your overreaction to it is the problem. You get it? That's what's going on in Russia and, and Ukraine. Um, the other countries are afraid because it could happen to them. Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia have their own way of, of, of having suffered a similar fate. And that's what makes the world you know, run. That's what makes it all so interesting to me. So you have these competing nationalisms, but you also have this notion of, you know, what to emphasize in the past, and are you bad if you refuse to sort of ignore aspects of the past? Now, I'll say it again. Israel today doesn't really hurt by this, is willing to go along and shoot the bull with Russia to a certain degree because, as I said before, they find it necessary for, for political reasons. So, 
like I said, I remember Putin was in uh, Yad Vashem and Bibi made a whole, I think it's in Sacker Park in Yerushalayim, whole monument to the dead of Leningrad and all this kind of stuff. Uh, because Putin's from Leningrad and, uh, you know, from the Second World War. Okay. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's funny that Israel is uh, is foregrounding the siege of Leningrad where a million Russians starved to death. But okay, it doesn't hurt, you know what I mean? Their narrative doesn't hurt the Jews, as it were. And it's important for us, it's important for us that our narrative should prevail. Because here it gets a little bit more tricky. Uh, it, listen well. You know, the nations of Eastern Europe, if there was no war going on, and if everything was just normal, and there was no threat from Russia, you could be doggone sure uh, Ukraine, Belarus, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia would be pushing a different narrative of the Holocaust. I'm not 100% sure how they would deal with the Jewish thing, but they would change the narrative to the degree they're able to so that they didn't do anything bad to the Jews. You see this happening in recent years, last 10 years or so, in Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, uh, Ukraine, I think also they're passing laws that it's also to say that the government bad to the Jews in World War II. You know what I said? They passed laws. And people who, who say they go to jail. This was happening last 10, 15 years. Uh, there's a very good speech online by this years ago by... The other David Katz, not myself, but the Yiddish professor, where um, he lives in Vilna or something like that, and he knows what's going on in the Lithuania's other countries. And the trouble is, their national heroes are often people who helped Hitler kill the Jews uh, or killed them on his own. So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, a little bit of a problem if your George Washington happens to have um, murdered uh, men, women, and children. Uh, as you know, Khmelnytsky is a national hero in the Ukraine from their point of view. So they're always going to say like this, Khmelnytsky is misunderstood. He didn't really, I'm very serious what I'm saying now. He didn't kill all Jews over here. It was some of his generals. It wasn't him. And anyway, the Jews brought it on themselves and blah, blah, blah. Because of Putin, they're afraid to open their mouth because if they say that, they sound like they're Nazis. Putin is saying that he's going to get rid of Nazism. One of the things that gives ammunition to Putin is you're Nazis because you deny what you did in the Holocaust, which, by the way, Putin is 100% right on, okay? Now, I'm not saying that makes you a Nazi today in, in Ukraine, but, but he is, Putin is doing that, as you know. Now, I'll repeat what I said. When he says that your denial or attempts to manipulate the Holocaust uh, um, narrative in such a way that the Jews aren't simply plain and simple the victims and the uh, locals were the perpetrators... That makes you, like, kind of Naziistic. There is truth to that, okay? At the same time, you can't say that the current countries today are Naziistic. They're not carrying out the Nazi policies when they round people up and, and murder them, mass murder them. So, it's, But but the locals, the Belarusians, the Lithuanians, the Estonians, the Ukrainians, no, if they don't play their cards right, Putin can use this and will use this um, as justification for conquering their countries. Because they'll say the Russians are coming in to set things right, and the Russians will take over Ukraine, for example, and kill that Naziistic narrative that you won't hear it anymore. We'll hear the correct narrative, which is the Jews were the victims and they were killed by the bad Ukrainians. Ukrainians don't want that to happen. Now, as a Jew, it's a funny to me. Like, what am I supposed to say to that? Putin is not exactly wrong on the other in his narrative. On the other hand, 
I'm not saying Putin should come in and bomb and kill another country. So it becomes very complicated. But both sides are you are 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 what's the word, wrestling with the Jewish Holocaust narrative to see how they can use it to advance their own national agendas. It's actually very interesting. Now, the Jewish people have used the craft and used their Holocaust narrative to advance their national agenda. So all of a sudden, you see history is not so pushy. History has to do with the way you see things, the way you interpret things. And a lot of times, that is not unaffected by a cost-benefit analysis, let's put it that way. Um, and so, this is what I meant when I said that it's interesting to look at the historical background of, of what's going on now in Europe, a word that doesn't go away. It keeps going on and on and on because these people feel very strongly about these kind of issues. Uh, it's always going to be the style that they're going to try to get the neutral countries on their side. And they'll play anything they can. Uh, how it's going to turn out, I don't know. I'm not going to venture to guess that because, as I said before, I would have guessed that Putin wouldn't have gone in and seen it. He's got to be living to a certain degree in his own world. And I don't mean he's crazy or any kind of things like they see on the news. I simply mean he's so into his narrative um, that you know he sees that the uh, the terrible avla that was done that Russia lost huge air t- territories has to be undone and the territories recovered. Uh, that will make him a hero, and you know to him Stalin is a hero. Again, he's moded that Stalin did a lot of bad things and killed many people, including a lot of Russians. He does agree to that, but since overall Stalin ended up with the Russian Empire at its greatest extent ever in its history. So a guy like Putin cannot help but dream, not in his lifetime, but he cannot dream that the goal has to be to reconquer that, that Russian empire that Stalin once had. So in some way, and in some fashion, Russia is going to want to retake Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, you know, Baltic states, Czechoslovakia, and all that kind of business. The other countries in Europe know this, and they're scared to death. And that's why they're supporting the Ukraine. So life is interesting. Uh, at the, at the, the Jews are, uh, what's the right word, you know, cannon father, silly putty in the arguments. Nobody really cares about the Claudius Raw aspect. They just want to see how they, how they can manipulate it for their own, uh, for their own uh, benefit. I get it. Okay. So don't be surprised if Israel's trying to do the same thing. How can I don't mean to cynically take advantage of the situation, but to try to maneuver back and forth in such a way that we don't get pulled into somebody else's quarrel. Because it'd be crazy for Jewish soldiers to die, you know, for the for, for to protect one, one one against the other. If you want to understand, and with this I'll conclude because I went long enough. If you want to understand the policy as as I see it, that Bennett is trying to implement, look at the early history of the USA and the administration of George Washington, which was 1789 to 1797, and as soon as Washington became the president, broke out the French Revolution. And all of a sudden, England and France are at war for 25 years. And each one wanted to schlep America into it. And it was the godless of George Washington that he said, we're not going to get schlepped into it. And they had a very hard time trying to keep out of one side over the other. It reminds me exactly of the kind of situation that uh, Israel's in right now. So those of you who know a little bit of American, American history, perhaps you will go and chaser over the Federalist years when Washington was president the first eight years of, of the Federal Republic, and you'll see, I, Tina, you'll see many parallels 
between what, what's going on now in Israel today on the one hand and what's happening in the other hand. And the newspapers were emotional on this, and they said side with this side, for this side with that side. But Washington himself was wise enough to hold his head while everybody else was getting pulled down by emotions. Anyway, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Once again, I want to thank the anonymous sponsors over here uh, and mention, as they did, the good cause of trying to help singles whenever you can. Uh, we live in a crazy world, as you know. The world Shadukim is is, is a, a nutty world, and sometimes things that are important are made unimportant. Sometimes things that are unimportant made important. But uh, we can only do what we can do, and hopefully uh, all those who are single today will find their shared before too long. At least that's a that's a good wish. With that, I bid you a good week.